Diane, it's 5.40 p.m. Welcome to the first episode of Twin Peaks Peaks. Um, this is not another Twin Peaks podcast, really, at this point. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> my name is Ashley, and this is Matt. Hi. Um, and we're going to be re-watching Twin Peaks in anticipation of the upcoming revival. On Showtime, our... <laughs> our ha- proud to say first episode sponsor we really landed an amazing opportunity here two complete unknowns with a cable network behind us that's a lie sorry sorry i but, was just uh, super showtime. enthusiastic feel free to contact our agents yes do contact our agents <laughs> ashley is my agent i am ashley's agent so and uh, i'm sure we can work something out yeah yeah we we we're only asking six figures, so. But uh, in any case, we are in Matt's bedroom, about to discuss the pilot episode. My recording studio slash bedroom. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, just a few more cats, and you have a cat ranch. So. We only have one cat here. Okay. Anyway, the pilot. Yeah, that's what we're here to discuss, as is befitting of. A first episode for the podcast. Uh, I think I watched the pilot when I was I was either seventeen or had just turned eighteen. I believe I believe I was on the verge of turning eighteen when I first watched it. Which is I watched it on, and this is the thing. By the way, if you couldn't tell by our uh, babyish voices. Uh, we weren't even alive when the pilot premiered either of us, uh, yeah. either of us. So I was just about to turn 18. It was the summer of whatever year that was, I guess, 2010. And Netflix streaming wasn't even a thing yet. Like, I feel like that's oh, how for you. I don't think it was right. Was that I've actually Netflix for like eight years? But was that actually a service at that point? Oh, yeah. Okay, then maybe I'm misremembering, but Twin Peaks definitely wasn't on it. Yeah, probably not. Uh, take yourselves back to the, the, the olden days of 2010 or thereabout when TV streaming was not as ubiquitous as it yeah, is now. Yeah, you couldn't just go to Amazon and like order a pair of socks and then watch Six Feet Under. Yeah, you could, you could order Six Feet Under on DVD with your socks. Exactly. And wait two to four weeks for them to arrive. Yeah, that was probably even the tail end of Blockbuster Video. Uh, Yeah. There were probably a couple locations open at that time. Yeah, a couple sad, (laughs) sad locations. Anyway, I did actually stream it, though. I didn't get the DVDs or... uh, I didn't get the DVDs or watch it some other conventional way or pirate it or something. It was actually available for free streaming on CBS's website, uh, you could watch oh. the entire series. Yeah, CBS used to do that. Star think, Trek was up there, too. Was it? Uh, yeah. yeah, old Star Trek used to be up there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, original series. Yeah. Anyway, it was everything, I think, but the pilot. You could stream for free on CBS. And I started watching it because I had actually... This will come up, I'm sure, in more detail in a later episode, but I had had an experience in North Bend, uh, the town where Twin Peaks 
you know, a lot of the locations, the double R diner and so mm -hmm. forth actually existed and was used as the filming location for pretty much everything the pilot actually. Mm -hmm. uh, so I knew the show had existed. Uh, North Bend was about a half hour from where I lived in Washington and I went to the town and then I came back and I was like, I'm going to finally watch this show. And I was about, you know, not very far into it when my mom found out I was watching the show and then was like, I can't like, I can't be in the room while you're watching that show. Uh, because this is a story that we will expand on a couple episodes from now, <laughs> but there is a moment and it's not in the pilot, but there's a moment where my mom was just like, no, I can't do this show. And that, so that's like my beginning with Twin Peaks. Uh, I did like marathon that show basically, but yeah, see, you'll get more little. Yeah, we'll expand on our, our origin stories at a later date. Um, what age did you first watch it at? It actually wasn't until I was a freshman in high school, or not high school, college, which is where you and I met. So this would be like probably a year after you watched it. And I remember yeah. it just became like this thing like we went to a very small college and it became this thing where you had to like watch Twin Peaks and it became very weird it was on Netflix at that point um and I remember like there was a big cult around it and like who you like invited to watch Twin Peaks <laughs> <laughs> alone in your room late at night oh yeah but um I specifically I was not having that experience because <laughs> you were in high school but well I it's I was not having that experience with Twin Peaks, but more accurately, I wasn't then rewatching it while we were in college with you know special guests coming to my shitty cramped dorm room. Um, so that was that was your initial experience of the show then. Well, okay. So the first time I watched the pilot, um, I remembered it took me several starts to do it, um, just because the pacing was so slow and I found it like hmm. very difficult to be invested in. And I often have this problem with camp where it's sometimes difficult for me to read, like, what is purposeful and what is not purposeful when it comes to camp. Um, like, I had the same experience with the pilot of Queer as Folk, which is, like, a very campy show, um, at least in its, like, initial run. Um, but there was this one day that I uh, was feeling not so hot and I just laid in bed like unable to change Netflix and just watch the whole pilot. Um, and like from then on, I was like, I was hooked. Okay. Now we do have more than a few differences in our backgrounds coming to the show. Mm -hmm. Had you watched a bunch of David Lynch stuff already at that point? Yeah. Like, so mm -hmm. you were prepared more for his style. Yeah. Whereas I, uh, to this point still haven't seen, I think any of his movies apart from uh, Fire Walk With Me. Really? So, yeah. Really? Because I had seen Mulholland Drive, which will come up later. I had seen parts of Eraserhead and parts of Blue Velvet by the time that I was watching uh, Twin Peaks. Yeah, no. Actually, it goes back to that point about my mother where Blue Velvet is also the one movie she will never watch mm. again. So I don't know. I think she already knew that about Blue Velvet by the time Twin Peaks premiered and then uh -huh. was like, I'm going to give this show directed by the same person who I think is like a total creep who's given me nightmares. Like, I, uh, I don't know how she possibly thought that was going to work out that's for her. Interesting. But anyway, so there wasn't there weren't like, you know, David Lynch VHS tapes in the house or anything. And I still haven't gone back and watched it because I'm a I'm a usually a very especially when it comes to movies, I can like 
go through a TV show on my own, which is weird to say now because now when you go watch a TV show, you basically binge watch it. Oh, yeah. But I don't often go out of my way to, you know, just sit and watch a movie by myself. I find it really difficult to watch movies to a certain extent. Um, I don't, it's kind of that weird, it's almost like middle form storytelling at this point because you get the short form of like an episode, but also the long form of like a multi-episode arc. And in some senses, uh, I feel like a movie is both like too short and too long at this point. I think it's interesting to think about what else was on TV at the time, just briefly before we launch into it. I just want to like think about the fact that I think Simpsons was in its first or second season at around this time, wow. or about to premiere. Right? Was it when? When did the pilot premiere? I don't know. <laughs> You're oh, the Simpsons no. fan. No, 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 not the pilot of the Simpsons. The pilot oh. of Twin Peaks. Oh, you should I know. know this. Oh, what? I do. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's April. Oh, I have it written down. Um, oh, Jesus. Flipping through notes. This is actually flipping through notes. This isn't some audio theater you're hearing. No. Uh, so it premiered on April 8th, 1990, and the pilot is okay. set on February 24th, 1989. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, it's... So contemporaries on TV, Simpsons, I believe The Golden Girls was not mm-hmm, yet mm-hmm. done. Uh, it's just... That's all I have to say is I was thinking about that. Like, what else is on... Cheers would have already ended at this point. Really? Maybe not. Maybe I'm I don't think Cheers was over that early. Because it's a lot. We're still a, a ways out from. <laughs> the, it's so sad. The reason I'm saying this is like it's a ways out from Frasier, right? Like, <laughs> You're right. Like, that is a ways out from Frasier. We're still Let not me, uh... at tossed salad and scrambled eggs yet. We've done a lot of talking around Twin Peaks so far. <laughs> We have. Wait, let me check we the promise you, TV season. <laughs> we promise you this is a Twin Peaks podcast. Um, I mean, is it at this point? It totally... No, it totally is. Don't worry, because we're going to talk about the pilot right now. Uh, you have written down some notes about the actual yeah. production. Um, you know, this is a, a David Lynch and Mark Frost production, uh, and I'm sure we will touch on the intricacies and details of that creative partnership uh, as time goes on uh, as we go through the show. But also, you know, I've got that, that particularly local connection. And yeah, you yeah, have it up, you have I it up do, here. I, I have the list of <laughs> You have the wiki article up. Um, I saw... I mean, it's what, you, it's, it's what you would guess. It's like Murder, She Wrote, The Simpsons yes. was on at the time. Murphy Brown, Designing Women, um, Who's the Boss, The Wonder Years, Roseanne. I was, I was going to say, wow, I was going to say a lot of these, like, Twin Peaks has to be the most, you know, apart from... Cheers, Different World. Apart from, uh, I was going to say, apart from The Simpsons, Twin Peaks has to be, you know, one of the most notable shows from this era. Oh, yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm totally wrong. You got Cheers. You got Designing yeah, Women. but at the same time, these are all, like, multi-cam shows I know, that, that was, shot on that, sound stages. That was my my actual point. Uh, this is... Yeah, no, 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 no. It's, <laughs> this is a show that was... the I think the pilot was actually shot on film. Yeah, I think so. Uh, maybe wrong there. Fact checker. If uh, also, if anyone, if anyone listening to this wants to fact check after the fact and contact us, that would be great. Mm-hmm. That would be so cool. Anyway, because um, that means you're listening. So the television landscape is not, I think, prepared for something like Twin Peaks, but even not prepared for a show that has a focus on a small town that's not yeah. like you know, a cartoonish 
image of like hick life or something this is yeah i mean basically what you're looking at right now are sitcoms and procedurals so you're looking at something that's very episodic and formulaic with a limited setting and a limited cast so for david lynch to like come to tv after already having a career in film and propose this um somewhat broad reaching tv show with a huge cast um that specifically wasn't going to be shot on a soundstage in la like that's very new and that's very different at the time. So, I think unless you have some some uh, particular production notes you want to cover, do. you do. Okay, I do. let's start there. Um, uh, I am. I'll have you know, itching. I am itching to talk about the the opening moments of the show. But let's let's set the stage for how we get to North Bend, Washington, and get that group of people together. Yeah, totally. Um, so David Lynch was already an established, um, director at the time, so he had a racer head under his belt, Dune Blue Velvet, um, and Mark Frost was coming from Hill Street Blues, so he had the TV background at the time, um, and it seems like basically ABC was comfortable taking this project on because of Mark Frost's previous success in television, but, uh, the show itself was originally titled Northwest Passage, did you know that? I, I didn't know that. Yeah, and set in South Dakota, which would hmm. have been a very different show. Yeah. And then there was like a real Northwest Passage in South Dakota, so they moved it. Um, but both uh, David Lynch and Mark Frost have some like Pacific Northwest, like Northern States background. Okay. Um, and I think that, that that like authenticity like really bleeds into the series. Yeah. Uh, Lynch is from Montana, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And Mark Frost uh, spent some time in Minnesota growing up. Okay, so northern states, yeah. Okay. Yeah, not Pacific Northwest by any means. <laughs> certainly not. <laughs> certainly not. What five minutes from the Canadian border, or whatever they yeah, describe Twin yeah. Peaks as being. Yeah, when they say it's basically at the corner of uh, Canada and Idaho. Yeah. Okay. So it's west, eastern Washington, not western Washington. Um. And uh, a couple of interesting notes. Uh, so when ABC took this project on, they basically stipulated that they wanted um, Lynch and Frost to film an ending so that if the pilot tanked, they would sell it as a like self-encapsulated movie in Europe. Okay. And so those sequences actually ended up being Cooper's dreams in later episodes. Huh. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I knew because there's... I actually have, we can see it right here, I have a uh, Warner Brothers Hits tape uh, that is the Twin Peaks pilot. And I think if I were to get up and cross the room, which would be bad podcasting, uh, bad podcasting etiquette, uh, and flip a tape over, it mentions something about the, the ending that was specially mm -hmm. made for uh, the pilot. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, yeah. Didn't know it was reincorporated into the show that way. Yeah, it. Um, I'm curious to to rewatch it and see what that might look like. Um, well, if we can get a VHS tape player, uh, a VHS tape, someone. <laughs> um, and yeah, then... I own that purely because I saw it for a dollar in a store, and I, I. This is what I'm. You know, nineteen twenty at this point. I'm like, I love Twin Peaks. I'll spend a dollar <laughs> on a cassette tape. I actually left Your dedication it. Dedication knows no bounds. I left it in one of the dorms at our college for a while and then took it back because no one had, like, you know, watched it and adopted it as their thing. So, nice. 
It was just your thing at that time. It was just sitting there. <laughs> um, another interesting fact. So the first Frost Lynch venture uh, was a show called The Lemurians about a squad of detectives who root out an infiltration of alien beings. Uh, NBC decided not to air it, but it sounds like the Twin Peaks X-Files crossover of our dreams. So, <laughs> David Lynch, if you're listening, please bring that back. Bring it back. Please bring it to Showtime. Um, so, on on the note of this, it's like my brain is broken now. It's a show that at its face was going to be about aliens. I think so. I'm literally just quoting the description. I haven't, like, investigated, like, the actual pilot script that was written by any means. Because, uh, yeah, I guess the, the, just that short description seems so, so bereft of nuance. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, you know, we got, we got invaders. Let's take them out. Like, it does it, as, as I'm sure, well, we should, we should, before we get to the plot, we'll say some things about how to watch the show along with the podcast and spoilers oh. and all that. Um, no, 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 no. We don't have to, <laughs> we don't have to start over at this point, but the sh I think what's special about this show and what, you know, these, all these circumstances that led to it being made and being picked up uh, even before it became, you know, kind of the, the hit it was on TV at that time it's it's so weird and that just sounds like a terrible pitch that's what that's what i was searching that's for that's saying. what those long pauses and the grinding gears are about that sounds like an awful pitch for a tv show but i mean the x-files made you know nine seasons and two movies out of a very i guess similar present yeah premise. i suppose and at that time fox was like fox was doing a bunch of dumb shit on the rest of its lineup so yeah fox was like a baby network at the time but right now i think i think even 1990 we are are we pre-Fox, or is this... We... Well, Simpsons are on Fox. No, right, yeah, okay. Simpsons are on Fox, so we're we're very baby Fox. Yeah. The so... X-Files was, like, its first step into being... Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, like, a real-ass network. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, but, you know, even as far back as 1990, NBC was squandering... <laughs> squandering its, its treasures, so... <laughs> <laughs> Some things never change. Exactly. Um... One more fun fact before we really get into it. Did you know that um, Mark Frost wrote most of like the more verbose characters, like Ben Horn, and Lynch really focused on Dale Cooper? Huh. Interesting. Yeah. they When describing their, their, their process, it seemed very collaborative and that they were really trying to work as one mind, but they did say that there was sort of a divide between the more articulate, verbose characters and... The characters that really spoke to David Lynch, namely yeah. Dale Cooper. Yeah, namely, namely Dale. Namely Dale. Uh, David Lynch's OC. Um, <laughs> no, we'll get to Kyle David Lynch's... Kyle face claim. <laughs> we'll get to David Lynch's OC. Now, just before we launch in, so we've got Kyle MacLachlan and a couple other actors who are, you know, at this point, already regular Lynch collaborators in the show, right? So it's not like... You know, yeah, it's not yeah. just like this is David Lynch, you know, gets tapped to make a TV show. Mm -hmm. Anybody who would have been in the know at that point and would have been a fan of his would have also seen that the starring role is Kyle MacLachlan. Uh, and you've got a couple other past Lynch collaborators in there and that, mm -hmm. you know, 
I have to imagine that some of the buzz before this premiered, at least in that community, however large or small that may have been at that point of mm-hmm. Lynch fans, would have been pretty, pretty big. Yeah, absolutely. I'm trying to find um, the woman who plays Laura's mom does a really oh. terrifying performance in Eraserhead. Oh, uh, Grace Zabriskie? Yes. Yes. Uh, and she has some truly uh, bone-curdling moments in this pilot. Yeah. Uh, so should we should we start to talk about what happens in this episode, or rather talk about how we're going to talk to our listeners about the episodes? Yeah. yeah. Um, so we're going to try to keep this uh, spoiler-friendly, so we're not going to directly talk about spoilers in upcoming episodes, but I think we can allude to later events and reveals. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think you can safely anticipate. Uh, but we definitely want to make this um, a podcast that anyone can just pick up and listen to as they're, you know, exploring Twin Peaks for the first time. Yeah. So if you're really spoiler averse, uh, you know, I, I, I'm the type of person who, if someone tells me what happens in a single episode of a TV show and I haven't watched it yet, I'm like, okay, fine. You know, it's not going to prevent me from watching it and getting enjoyment out of it. And people leave things out. I'm sure we'll leave things out. Mm-hmm. Um, but... If you want to watch the pilot now, uh, either on your rewatch or this is maybe your first time watching it, uh, and you've not yet watched it, pause this, go watch it. Open Netflix. Yeah, open Netflix, you know, take the DVD set that your weird uncle gave you and pop in the first disc or something, Mm -hmm. watch the pilot, and then come back. Cool. Hey, now you're listening. <laughs> All you noobs are here to hear us talk about what actually happens in the pilot. Yeah. Um, so I was mentioning this to you earlier. I have watched this about three times at this point. Three or four times I've watched the actual pilot. I guess this is my fourth. Um, and I hadn't realized that the first shot is Josie Packard. Yeah. I knew that the first event was Pete going out to fish and finding the body but I didn't realize that we opened on, you know, Josie doing her makeup. Yeah. Um, so, and and Josie in this episode is is actually one of the characters who I feel like is most, both from that positioning and in kind of the few details, the few expository details you get about her, mm-hmm. set up to be one of the, like, mysterious oh, yeah. uh, residents of Twin Peaks. Yeah. Um so yeah, the first person you see on screen is Joan Chen. Um, and this is yeah. definitely, without a doubt, her biggest role. Yeah. Uh, the thing um, she's most known for. Yeah, she was on Genghis Khan, the Netflix show. Okay. Or what's it? That might not be the name of it. The Genghis Khan series on Netflix. Hmm. I know that uh, she actually runs a food blog now. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And Very then there was cool. a post, an accompanying post, uh, where she talked about, you know, uh, her time with Twin Peaks. I won't get exactly to the, what the content of that was because that would maybe that that casts us ahead, you know, episodes and episodes down the line. But yeah, so you see Josie, Josie Packard, and then the first line uttered by anybody is uttered by my boy Pete, uh, <laughs> one of my favorite characters, gone fishing, as he looks at Catherine. And they both kind of exchange their mutual look of disdain for one another. <laughs> a very, uh, very strained relationship summed up yeah, in two words and a glance. To say the least. Um, and then we follow Pete out to the beach and that's where we come across the body wrapped in plastic. 
um, and that really sets off the chain of events, obviously, um, because the body is the body of Laura Palmer. Um, Who, coming back to the show every time, it's, I, I love how much they nail in the pilot that everybody in this town knows this girl. But at the same time, you already figure out within like, not even halfway through the pilot, that everybody knows her in a slightly different way. Yeah. It, they do not take a long time. Like I feel like, say, a newer TV show might mm-hmm. to trickle out details about this girl's oh, multiple yeah. lives. Yeah. You get it pretty fast. But more importantly, I think the impact is sold. Uh, the impact of her passing is sold very well in the first half of this episode yeah it really um affects everyone in the town and i think that that's um pretty interestingly contrasted with and this is jumping ahead um ron at pulaski who survives but is suspected of you know being being victim to the same perpetrator um and i think that there's a pretty strong contrast between laura palmer perfect student you know girlfriend of you know, Bobby Briggs from the football team. The cute, hunky football player. Ashbuck. Um, <laughs> versus Ronette Pulaski, who comes from, like, a working-class background, who um, is already, you know, working in the sex trade. Um, and I think that we definitely see um, a commentary of sorts on, the, like, the Madonna Ford dichotomy. Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the show... The the first punch it doesn't pull uh, in the whole episode is showing her body. Yeah. You know, I don't know the promotional materials, even like the newspaper ads then were all who killed Laura Palmer. Yeah. Like that was used to promote the show, Mm -hmm. uh, which then countless shows since then have aped in their kind of just like, here's our catchphrase that alludes to our mystery. Yeah. Or, you know, shows will have like kind of a catchphrase for each season. Mm -hmm. Um, But who killed Laura Palmer was like the refrain. And Mm -hmm. Pete wanders out, the lonesome foghorn blows, turns the corner, and then you see her dead body and i remember i've read this on some twin peaks website and it may have been a direct pull quote from a review or something but that the writer said like laura palmer's body is the deadest thing you'll see on television like it was it was striking to say the least uh especially for the time because now you have now you have hannibal just dexter dexter dead bodies everywhere uh but just the plastic wrap body with like hints of you know you can see there's some blood but you don't get a clear look at anything except her face and then that's just completely completely gone blue Mm -hmm. and yeah it's it's not a regular tv show like two if you set aside just the very opening moment you know when you're like who's who who is this person looking at herself in the mirror who is Josie Packard it immediately goes out the gate to not be a regular tv show and then mm-hmm. before you even meet the main character of the show you get a solid half hour with the townspeople as yeah. they react to this news uh we talked about Bobby the football player but let's maybe talk about the diner unless there's yeah. something else you want to visit um, on the beach first there's a moment when they send the, fo- the the police to yeah, the beach yeah Andy oh my god <laughs> Andy Andy's reaction is this episode. Andy is, yeah, up there in terms of favorite characters for me. And uh, 
when when we start to feel more comfortable talking about what we want to see in the revival, I have I have some I have some things to say about well, actually actually many of the people on the police force of yeah. Twin Peaks uh where I want to see them uh in the future. But Yeah, I'm really interested to get to that, but now is not the time. Andy's uh, squeamish, sad <laughs> crying teddy bear reaction to the dead body which is and it's also uh sheriff truman uh michael onkeen is that how you say his last name i'm not sure we'll go with it michael onkeen sheriff harry s truman uh also just a great great name just being like again andy like after the last however many times you still can't uh keep it together how many murders are in this town of five thousand people well yeah that's a well 51 something thousand according to the sign which does this look like a town of fifty thousand people to you though because abc asked that the number be changed because a town of five thousand people sounded unrelatable yeah yeah, that's one of my. I I I too know that trivia factoid. It's still. I, you told I, me that trivia factoid, so. I, <laughs> oh well, there you go. I I love that. The signs, it's it's one of those definite incongruities where it's just like this is, you you don't need to be halfway through this episode. You don't need to be many episodes in. You're just like there's this isn't a town of fifty thousand people. <laughs> Why does the sign say that? The Twin Peaks metropolitan just, area. You know, it's just one of the many mysteries of the show. Where Why does the sign say that? I want answers. Maybe you'll get them. Fifty thousand listeners. People. Where are they? Um. <laughs> I have some ideas. I have some theories about that. <laughs> They've all already been taken at this point. Um, so the diner. Unless... The diner. Yeah, I mean, we meet um, pretty much all of the cast. And what I think is interesting is, you know, the characters became so noteworthy. Um, and I think that, you know, everyone has a favorite Twin Peaks character besides Dale Cooper. You yeah. Know, <laughs> that they love. Um, but it's interesting because um, Lynch and Frost were saying that they focused on the town itself and the landscape of the town before they focused on any of the characters. Hmm. Um, and I think to a certain extent that really informs the characters because you're not like, well, why is this person in Twin Peaks? They're all people that you could see living in a small town in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah. There's there's very few characters we're introduced to here who we don't get a context of their place in the town yeah like obviously we have the cops we meet harry we meet andy uh we meet lucy the receptionist mm-hmm. um and with the context of the diner we're actually we're actually kind of keyed off uh to who bobby's going to be because i think we go to we go to laura's mom right yeah you we know do. they they bring in the cops to look at the body and then they've got to inform uh laura's mother and laura's father mm-hmm. and there's this I, I remember it's a pretty abrupt cut from them discovering it's Laura to Laura's mom, just like saying, yeah. come down. And you get that great shot, uh, which is echoed a couple of times in the pilot, uh, up the stairwell uh-huh. with the, the fan. With the fan. Uh, just one of those things where it's like, if you show me that, even like a, just like for a millisecond, I'd be like, that's Twin Peaks. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Laura's gone and she says, oh, Bobby. And then we go, where's Bobby? Uh, and we get... Shelly and we get Norma and we get Bobby Uh and we get the establishment of the diner which is one of the most beautiful and I would argue you could put on any list of like iconic TV locations Um, and we get it in its full glory because this is in North Bend in the town of North Bend the way that diner looked then it later is swapped out for 
a set, which I feel like is a very good recreation, recreation, but it's not, it's not perfect. Mm -hmm. Um, but here you see it in its full glory and it looks great. Yeah. Um, and you get some of the show's humor with, uh, I, oh, I, I wish I remember her, the character's name, but she's the German waitress. Oh yeah, I was going to bring her up because I feel like we never see her again. <laughs> well, that's, well, without spoiling too much, we will see the German waitress again. But she comes in late and then there's just like innuendos thrown around about, yeah. about your man and sausage and she's giggling and we're, and we're like, aren't we focusing on this this terrible tragedy yeah. around this dead girl yeah. and it's like no you're gonna take some twists and turns in this pilot alone in terms of one moment it's it's very weird and then mm -hmm. it's serious and people are screaming and crying and then there's just jokes yeah. jokes and yeah. jokes and then bobby turns on that eerie music as he leaves the diner uh, yes <laughs> uh and bobby flirts with norma because that's a thing that norma does yeah <laughs> and then the girl norma yeah, is is Norma one of one of your? All, they're all my girls. They're all your girls. Oh, all the girls at Twin Peaks are your girls. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Bobby and Shelley drive off. Yeah, uh, and then we get our first hint of, but not appearance of until later. Leo. Leo. They just. I I love the music hit, uh, and we have to talk a, a lot about the music because it's one of the mm -hmm. one of the many things that makes this show great. Mm -hmm. uh, Angelo. God, I don't want to get it wrong. Vidalamenti? Like, uh, yeah, is, that, is that the correct pronunciation? I think so. I'll, if, if not, I'll learn it. Guarantee. I promise that. There's just this huge hit when you see Leo's truck parked out mm -hmm. in front of the house. And I, re I do remember, actually, my introduction to the show. When that happened, it, like, like, it like made me stand up, like, bolt up in my seat and be like, this is, this is a serious, yeah. like, I, there there are a few few more effective uses of music to like be like this sh this is a effectively a pants shittingly scary moment for yeah. these two characters than just that like loud bomb yeah. uh when they see that that truck parked out there yeah. and then i think we transition to the high school because bobby is fucking late and the rest of the high school is about to finally find out what mm -hmm. has happened to laura yeah they call bobby to the principal's office we see mike um, the names Bobby and Mike yeah. later become significant in different ways, but for now it's just, you know, these two shitty high school football these players. These two who are really shitty, shitty to their, people. To their girlfriends. Um, and then that's when we see Audrey. We see Audrey. Close to then. And we see Donna. We see Audrey school. smoking in high school, which is how you know she's cool. You see her changing her shoes from the saddle shoes yeah. to, to the red heels. Yeah. And then we get like a glimpse of like the Donna Audrey friendship that we like should have had. <laughs> <laughs> the the brief passing in the hallway. Yeah. Yeah. Audrey Audrey is like if not Cooper, who we've still not gotten to yet, uh Audrey is like the other huge breakout character of Twin oh, Peaks. Oh yeah, I would huge, say huge. Uh and this show this this episode does a great deal to establish that and then even the next couple episodes past that like already they could have had her just be a troublemaker mm -hmm. in the town and people would have been like apeshit for her yeah uh but then they bring in her relationships with other people uh yeah. with the show and it only gets 
I, yeah. She's a very well-written character, unlike some characters who become very boring. Some characters become very boring indeed. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we get... A, I think one of the things that people... When I've told friends to watch Twin Peaks and they watch the pilot or the pilot in a couple episodes, mm-hmm. uh, the thing I always hear back from them is, like, there's so much crying and screaming and this gets back to your camp comment from earlier where you're trying to distinguish like was that what kind of before you were incapacitated and just had netflix open and watched the pilot is that what stopped you was it like the crying in the classroom yeah i think it was both like the pace and the camp it was like there wasn't um like a sense of there being like a fast enough pace to like pay off and like it seemed like uh, the slowness was just building up to these like very campy moments like Donna crying in the classroom. I know I, someone else that I knew who first watched this show said like, aren't you not supposed to have people cry in your, your screenplays? Isn't that like a, a faux pas? I, I have I'd never, never heard, heard that, that before. <laughs> but then again, I am not of the theater. But there is quite a bit of crying in this episode. Quite a bit of crying. Um... Yeah, so we, we meet Laura's family, we meet her friends, we meet Donna and James. James breaks that pencil, uh, which is also, I mean, so many moments that I think stand out in people's mind as like quintessential Twin Peaks moments are actually, a lot of them are from the pilot. Oh, yeah. Which I think speaks oh, to, yeah. I mean, everything about it, but particularly David's approach to like really wowing them on the first go out it's just like the the images he chooses to use and the way that characters are introduced along the way and Mm -hmm. we are already doing uh you know we're recording this and we're pretty fresh off of the most recent season of orange is the new black coming out and i will use that as an example of a show that has a huge ensemble cast where you're juggling multiple storylines and within this 90 minutes of the pilot you're expected to follow these characters throughout the course of a single day. Yeah. Um, and I think it does a really good job of like, that's such a huge ask. Follow characters through a single day that the audience hasn't met before. Yeah. And give them a good sense of who these characters are as this transformative event happens yeah. that just and, and you're not invested in laura's death at all yeah as a viewer it's absolutely nuts it's a tall ask for any tv show and i don't yeah. think many tv shows would dare to attempt that uh these days because there's there's it's like too much ground to cover and yet you get a pretty good sense of who these people were before Laura's death and a decent idea at least for the near future of what this is going to do to them uh, what this is going to bring out in these people definitely um as I was mentioning to you earlier I feel like um in a different format you know these events would have taken up you know four to six episodes you could do it kind of or just the new black style where you're like focusing in on a couple of characters at once with the Um, but I think that the way that everything is sort of woven together, um, in the style and the pace that it is, it really, um, works. And I think it's somewhat challenging for the audience, which is always kind of like welcome in my opinion. Yeah. But it also gives for those of you listening who are rewatching, I think the pilot for me always, I always notice 
like we said just about the very beginning and then a couple other points i always notice new and interesting things mm-hmm, uh totally. when i watch it or things that are you know suddenly new to my eyes yeah. that i pass over before yeah like this moment in the high school uh before they you know do the announcement on the pa and and talk about laura you're just in the hallway and there's this shot of a guy yeah who dances off doing these wiggly arms yeah And And it focuses on this guy. This guy is not a character in the show. He's not anybody. It's just this amazing moment that it's one of those, it's one of those little, little David Lynch touches uh, that is so perfect. And I had never focused on it before I rewatched it for this. And I was just like, I I have to talk about this. It's a, I want a gif of that scene. I want to know who that guy is in Twin Peaks. Yeah. But I also kind of don't because it's so beautiful. Will he be in the revival? <laughs> Will he be in the revival? That's Most an important, important question. important question. Um, yeah, his style of dancing was weirdly reminiscent of styles of dancing that will later become significant. <laughs> Ooh, um, foreshadowing, really, you're saying. Like, might just be me projecting like importance onto this weird dude having this weird <laughs> moment. But... Or there may have been just a strange extra and then Davis was like, we'll keep it. Yeah, yeah, like like you do with a couple of things that we'll get to in a moment. But what I saw that was weird at the high school is that girl running across the courtyard screaming. Like, who was she? Oh what yeah, what was her connection to Laura? Because she never comes back. Right. Oh yeah. How does she find out before everyone else? And why is she so upset? Yeah, there's there's a palpable tension, and it seems like they're like keeping homeroom in and then not doing anything for a while. Yeah. So like the rumors start flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, did did that person know? Yeah. Laura, did that person have a connection to what was going on in that girl's life? We don't know. Yeah, we'll never know. Just, you know. Maybe the breaking point of mass hysteria. Who knows? Yeah, um, I think so. We get all this action at the high school, and the other, the only other people we visit before this, we we see the Martells. Um, we see there's... Big Ed and Norm and uh, oh, what's her name? Oh no! With the eye patch. Oh my God! I swear I've seen this show before. Now it's. Fine if you haven't and you're listening, but if you're making the podcast, we should have character names I'm sorry. on the ready. No, it's fine. <laughs> I really, this is going to take... Anyway, we, we, on this subject, we get the, we get the drape runner... Nadine. Yeah, I Nadine. Knew, yeah, it sounds very Some end name, Nadine. We get Nadine and Ed's whole drape thing, the, the seeds of that. Watch, I would watch just like the the cut scenes of nadine's drape runner saga yeah honestly this yeah you don't you don't get to see the even close you don't even scratch the surface but i think all of nadine's lines in this episode revolve around the drapes um and that may also be true of episode two i guess you'll just have to watch uh so we see them and we see i think more importantly we uh because this is a big player moment we don't just see audrey we see ben horn yeah and ben horn is the i'd i'd say in my mind the other one who like uh like josie packard is set up to be uh someone with some some spooky dealings if at least because or at least because he is obviously mega rich and he's courting these norwegians oh my god uh, my air sacs have never felt, felt better, better. <laughs> yeah um well and it's interesting that um leland palmer laura's father and ben horner introduced together yeah. um 
you know, they're business partners. And I think that over the course of the series, they necessarily grow apart because of what happened to Laura. Um, but it always is uh, kind of weird for me to remember that their business dealings are so intertwined. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've, I always, like, get fuzzy on this fact. Is Leland his lawyer? Yes. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. It's... <laughs> there are certain things that are just like, I know everything about these characters. And there's something that's just like, but what But what are you... What's it exactly that you do, Leland yeah. Palmer? Um, also, so the Great Northern, uh, Ben's establishment, uh, which is where our our hero, let's say, is mm-hmm. going to uh, stay for uh, the time being, where Dale's going to get a room, uh, with a beautiful waterfall and everything. Actual place, actual place. Those are Snoqualmie Falls. Uh, I have a picture of me with some of my uh, friends from high school in front of it. And actually, a mutual friend of ours, our friend Lucas, uh, his dad was a chef there for a while or worked in the kitchen. I think think was... Very interesting. Yeah. Um, So we got, you know, it's almost as though we live in a small town... Where everything is connected. Uh, no, it's not. It's not like that at all. Um, but uh, we'll add that to our list of places to check out when we eventually go to North Bend. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, North Bend is... There's a lot to see there. And there's a diner. And they have a bunch of different sandwiches. That's actually... We'll get to that in the future. But they have like 60 different sandwiches. And sandwiches are not not a spoiler to say sandwiches aren't really a Twin Peaks thing. So I don't get why they pride themselves yeah. on that. That's mm. that's my story. Interesting. Now, pie and coffee, though, that's another matter. And I think now we should talk about our boy, everybody's boy, the special boy. Special Agent Dale Cooper, a.k.a. Kyle McLaughlin, a.k.a. Mayor of Portlandia, a.k.a. Trey McDougal. Trey McDougal. Oh, is that uh Yeah, his character from Sex and the City. Okay. And he's also a character on um he also plays a character on How I Met Your Mother, right? I don't watch How I Met Your Mother. I think he plays a character that's literally called the Captain. Okay. How I Met Your Mother Sounds... is a, not a it's not my type of show. So this is all, you know, half remembered episodes from when I had nothing better to do than sit at a friend's but house like, who loved that show. But, but like point being if you've never seen this show before, you've totally seen Kyle McLaughlin's handsome ass face before. Yes. Maybe you've seen him in Dune, another David Lynch production. Blue Velvet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Kyle McLaughlin is the most notable of the, uh, of the... And currently the only one signed on for the revival. Yes. Formally. Yeah. Formally. But... Legally binding. <laughs> David Lynch's David Lynch's guy and it's like his introduction is almost like it's there's I I would read it you know I well I I like to read it a little bit and you can you as the person who has more theory and actual language to talk about this kind of stuff under your belt can shoot me down or like provide a better way of talking <laughs> about it but I like to see his arrival in the town almost as like David Lynch is saying, like, I have I have established this world and now I am going to call in my big gun to set a lot of things in motion. Yeah, um, totally. I was I was gonna say, I mean, the first thirty six minutes before we see Dale Cooper are really purely expository. Um, because you're just touching on these different people and establishing their characterization, their connection to Laura, their place in the town, and Kyle McLaughlin is really sort of the catalyst for most of the action. Yeah, and this is also our introduction to uh, Dale Cooper's uh, partner, Diane. 
who he leaves many, many uh, tape recorder messages for. And I'm sure you and I will have more to say yeah, about Diane in the of, future. I've always wondered, like, how long does it take for Diane to to get these tapes? Is he just mailing them to her when he finishes? Is he holding on to them? Is she only going to transcribe them when he gets back to Philadelphia? Like, It's a very good question. There is a moment in this episode. Um, Dale shows up, introduces himself to the sheriff, mm-hmm. and quickly goes about you know and this is like i always when i watch the pilot um try to place i think you know what time of day i think it is and he says the time of day as he's you know approaching town Uh but then you know they're in the hospital Uh they check in on ronette and then um i hope you have a production note about this when they actually go to see laura's body Uh um yeah and the yeah let's talk about that moment uh all I wanted to say is the conclusion of this is he records a message about send this send this piece of evidence to Albert and then oh, Albert yeah. turns up like that like very fast so oh, you know there is there is some question as to how fast these tapes are flying to yeah. Diane but anyway the the autopsy room yeah um the light, the fluorescent light in that actual physical space was just flickering, and David Lynch was like, all right, this is creepy, I love it, let's incorporate it. And I think this might be misremembered, but there's that line where yeah. the, the the doctor, uh, I think Dale asks... Can you, you leave know, us alone? Can you leave us alone? And <laughs> the doctor says, Jim? <laughs> like, <laughs> and then, yeah. what's your name? Uh, I think that was just a, a, yeah, a flub. that was like a genuine flub. That was that dude's actual name, the actor's actual name. Yeah, and it stayed in because, I mean... Kyle McLaughlin rolled with it like a professional. Like a, like a total pro. Did and not break character. Dave Lynch was like, "This is real. This, this is the is take. Real. That's a that's a that's you know this is something I hope to not be let down by when I actually go and watch all the Lynch movies. Is that these moments are kind of peppered throughout Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. um, especially especially this first season, mm-hmm. uh, where things just seem happenstance mm-hmm. and are really interesting and beautiful as a result like that's that's a piece of it's not and it's not like hackneyed like oh you know the way we did the dialogue was that we had people improv it out and then we just kind of like cut things away or or picked natural dialogue from people having a conversation it's it's a it's a real interaction a mistake that has managed to make its way into the world and made it feel more real as a result despite it being you know despite all the dressings of murder mystery and daytime soap takeoff yeah. and so forth yeah and all the all the copious amounts of crying yeah we've got there's even more crying before we reach the end of the pilot yeah one of the other comments that i get from people when they watch this first episode is that some of them think that cooper's a little creepy because he shows up and he's got a purpose and he uh-huh. does the little sides like what are the name of these big, beautiful trees? Oh, yeah. and, you know, his, his energy, I think to, to some people who aren't you know, like, maybe like you or I just like, so down for the, 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 the energy he gives off, yeah. uh, from moment one are just like, he seems creepy. Like he can't be here with good intentions. And one of the moments that I, I do see 
that kind of I, I do see that take on it peeking through is when he goes up to Laura's body and then immediately knows where to look and finds yeah, yeah. the R curled yeah. up in a fingernail, which tells you that this is and is established at the town meeting that this is a similar murder and he was already on this case. That's why he's been brought in uh-huh. and that he has a history and some idea of or weird sense for Mm -hmm. you start to see that come through how this crime and generally how people's behavior is is gonna play out yeah um but let's let's touch on that town hall meeting because we get a couple other players introduced too right um yeah i mean we get the log lady she's flicking some lights she's chilling with her log uh and her introduction being who's that lady with the log we call her the log lady (laughs) done great show a plus television we could end the podcast right here uh that was all we needed to get to we get we get the mayor of twin peaks uh who will float back in and out with the show um and this is like so we know most of the people, save for those two in the room when we uh-huh. get there. Because uh-huh. uh, we've got Josie, Catherine, Pete, uh, Ben, mm-hmm. and they're gathered. And this is one of those things where you can take it as like a really small town or not. Uh-huh. But uh, the address is that they're like the, they're like the heads of the city, uh-huh. ostensibly. And yeah. we don't end up, you know, getting to know any of these other characters, too. Yeah. I feel like something else is that the show has already told us, and it's a pretty big world and a huge number of characters to keep track of, but there's no like hinting of like whether or not you're going to, the show doesn't concern itself with leaving things open ended as to create more intrigue. It's not like, Oh, who are the rest of these people? And like, are we going to find out what their deals are? It's like, no, everything is like on the table for you to go from, yeah. From this moment on. And there are like red herrings within that group. Definitely. But no one's going to pop up from that town hall meeting that you don't yeah. already know at And that you're point. just like, oh, okay. One of the other players in Twin Peaks has like emerged on the scene. Like, no, you are pretty well established with who you're going to be following mm-hmm. this town who's not going to come come in at a later date. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's, I, I, th- I think about Lost. When, Ooh, you are so right. <laughs> what I, I think about you know surprise there's another civilization on the other side of the waterfall yeah surprise the well lost spoilers it's spoilers for other shows personally i don't give a fuck about but everybody knows <laughs> it in lost second season you find out more people survive the plane crash and then there's like and another group of people third season there's this notion that two people who are just background characters are going to come out into the four and be main characters. And Twin Peaks would never fucking play that game with you. Not at all. It's not going to expect you to care about... play that game with your heart. Yeah, they're not going to expect you to care about some some extra who had no thought put into their character from day one. Everybody Mm -hmm. has some some arcs that they are already in the middle of. Yeah, which is definitely refreshing. Yeah. Um, compared to, like, some current TV shows. <laughs> <laughs> not to put anybody on blast, but... Uh, I hope I'm not speeding past anything here, but we're... No. We're starting to get towards the, the meat of the pilot, because... Yeah. There's uh, some ideas of, you know, after some questioning of who might have been involved, or more importantly, who was the last person to see Laura? Yeah. Um, yeah. They go through the Palmer home and they find this videotape, among other things. And then we get some scenes mm-hmm. of questioning with Bobby and Donna. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, going back to the log lady real quick. Though, okay. Have you seen all of the log lady introductions? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I believe actually when I was watching it, I think when I was watching it on the CBS streams, I think those all came with the, uh, and those were for Bravo television, right? Yeah. yeah. When Bravo started doing the syndicated episodes in 1993 is when David Lynch wrote the log lady introductions that, um, the same actress did with the log, um, Catherine Coulson, right? Yeah. Is that her name? Yeah. Okay. Um, but the one for this, I'm not going to read all of it, but the log lady introduction for this episode, in case you haven't seen it, because they aren't on Netflix. Yeah. Um, which is kind of weird is, um, to introduce this story, let me just say it encompasses the all. It is beyond the fire, though few would know that meaning. It is a story of many, but begins with all, and I know, with one, and I know her. Um, the one leading to many is Laura Palmer. Laura is the one. Um, and I think that really encapsulates kind of the vibe of the, the pilot is that like, it is going to, in a sense, focus on Laura. And then, um, the scope is going to broaden to these other characters that we've already been introduced yeah. to. So we, we get a sense, I mean, like from the first scene, uh, Especially the first scene in high school, Bobby, he's an asshole. We also meet Bobby's parents, interestingly. Yeah. Uh, his dad, Major Briggs, uh-huh. uh, portrayed by the venerable character actor Don S. Davis, uh, who will later go on to play Scully's, Scully's dad. dad in yeah. X-Files. And he will end up as, I believe, another general. or ma- is, it, is it Major Briggs in this show? I think. Yeah, so I think it's... Or Major... He's he's Briggs because Bobby Briggs. Briggs. Oh, yeah. Garland. I, th- I think he's uh, uh, General Hammond in Stargate SG One. Oh, he's yeah. He's basically he's your guy for '90s cult television. Uh, yeah. You will see uh, that you know, uh, kind of stern yet warm bald man pop up in various yeah. places. Uh, I just wanted to get a shout out to him. Uh, I think he passed away in the yeah. mid 2000s. Uh, RIP to a real homie. Yeah. Um, so. But it's interesting that it's like kind of like Dean Norris, the way Dean Norris is like always <laughs> typecast as like a cop. Like this dude is always a general. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Is, is, is Scully's dad a, a military man? Yeah, in the he show? is. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. There's there's lots of jokes that can be made about, you know, parallel TV universes here. But anyway. Well, wait, gonna... I would be really down for someone to write some fan fiction where uh, Bobby uh, and Dana are siblings. I am sure that exists. And if not, you should go fill that void once Plus, we're done recording also, this. also, Dale Cooper and Fox Mulder at the Academy together. <laughs> okay. Okay. Those are my two requests. All right. Well, listeners... Um, get on that if if that doesn't exist uh we have this this video the video is another thing that sticks in my mind i don't know how mm-hmm. twin peaksy it is to you but of donna and laura doing these like really goofy dances yeah like i'm not sure when i when i try to think about like if i was I just, I can't put myself in the shoes where I would take my, like, bulky-ass, like, VHS tape recorder yeah. and then be like, all right, let's 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 swing our arms in, in unison and, I, I don't yeah, know. and, like, kick our legs out and, like... Picnic dance. Uh, but this picnic <laughs> dance is, like, 
for for both Bobby and Donna actually this this you know cute if strange video is the most intimidating scary fucking thing they could be confronted with right now absolutely because uh, not only does it have all these you know uh, lingering shots of their now dead friend mm-hmm. but also they are being very very intensely questioned by this strange man who's arrived in town Dale yeah. Cooper yeah um. Dale has one of the most fucking ice cold moments he has in the entire uh, show. Uh, oh my god! It was it. Almost... You didn't love her anyway. Yeah. He says to Bobby yeah. at the end of the questioning. But I mean, he knows. He knows. This is one of those things that I was mentioning is that he has already. He. I love. I love the way he makes the message to Harry mm-hmm. on a calculator. Yeah. He didn't do it. Yeah. Um. And then later on, uh, at the roadhouse. Uh, as uh, you know, when you know when Donna's doing her thing and getting away on the motorbike, uh-huh. uh, Harry's like, "Is no following?" Is like, "No, she's being taken to another place." Like he knows yeah. he has this, you know, kind of sixth sense from the get go when he yeah. arrives on the scene about how the people in this yeah. town he, work. He's like almost kind of omnipotent, yeah. in a certain way. Um, so again, like he's been he's been let loose on this town. Is kind yeah. of what it feels like to me in the pilot. Uh, yeah. Donna's questioning. We get quickly into the 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 sticky, awful mess of the plot here where there's the love square uh, pentagram at this point. Yeah, I don't it's a pentagram. Pentagram. Because we know Bobby is seeing Shelly, but Bobby was... No, no, no. Oh, shit. It's six-sided. Six-sided. Oh, wait, so... Okay, so Laura, see. Bobby, mm-hmm. Bobby, Shelly... Laura, James. Oh, yeah. James, Donna. Donna, Mike? Donna, Donna, Mike. But it's actually, there's a lot of branching because then also Shelly, Leo. Shelly, Leo. And, yeah. And I think there will be some more cross-connections explored shortly. Yeah. Um... It's already a, it's already a big mess, and it just so happens that uh, Donna's super intimidated about this questioning because she knows that James uh, was was seeing Laura, and uh, it comes out that James was probably the last person to have seen her. Yeah, and the curfew is put in effect. Mm-hmm. Um, now I have a I have a question for you, Ashley. Okay. Um, do you like blossom of the evening? Or do you like full flower of the evening? Now that some time has passed, I think I like the full blossom of the evening. Nice, nice. Um, but I, wait, I have like <laughs> this weird love for Harriet and I want to see more of her. Like, more she Harriet. She has that like young lesbian haircut and she's like <laughs> writing poetry and like I want her to be a more prominent character. Yeah, I feel like we do get some Harriet, another character who we see... Uh, very briefly, and then um, it's not much of a spoiler to say we won't see much of again is uh, Ben's wife, Audrey's mom. Uh, yeah, wait. Oh, yeah. Jeez, where? Mm-hmm. And her brother. And her brother. We do see, we end Johnny. up seeing more of Johnny than we, we do, do see but it does, their mother it ever. It almost seems like he's going to be more a part of the show than he is. Yeah. At that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the moment that mother has in this episode is that she's just like so frustrated with the help because johnny's banging his head into this dollhouse 
and is just, you know, he is in a state where he is not ready to accept that Laura will not be coming mm-hmm. back and she's just done with it. Yeah. Not a shining yeah. moment for her. Um, yeah. It almost feels like she gets retconned out of the show because she really never appears again. Uh, Does she? Anyway. <laughs> You won't see... It feels that way. Well, we should establish that you actually haven't seen the entire show. No, I haven't. Um, And yet you came to me saying, let's start a podcast. That's why I picked you as my co-host. Okay, thank you. And your extensive audio equipment. (laughs) Um, But there's actually like a commonplace where people do stop watching. Um, Yeah. And I know that I've met a bunch of other people who've also stopped watching um, at the same place, and when the idea for this doing this podcast came about, I purposefully didn't yeah, watch those later no, that's, episodes. Yeah, that, I think that's a totally smart choice. It'll make those those episodes yeah, more interesting. Yeah, that's going to be really wild. <laughs> um, but I will say, this isn't the last we've seen of her. So, But she does get... She's out for a while. Oh, she's out for a long, long while. Yeah. They, the Horn they, household like, becomes Ben, Audrey, and then... Ben's brother, Jerry, who yeah. I'm excited ben to meet. Ben and Jerry. Yeah, Ben and Jerry. I never get over that. Uh, so great. So Donna's, you know, Donna's talking to Harriet uh, and uh, does the quick out the window to the roadhouse. Everybody's centering on the roadhouse. Also, like, wait, there's that weird moment where, like, Mike and Bobby are at the door and Bobby is standing on the front of the car, <laughs> chugging a beer. And Mike is, like, at the door, and um, uh, Donna's dad, Dr. Hayward, is like, have you boys been drinking? And he's, like, looking at Mike. So I assume Mike's breath, like, smells of alcohol. Yeah. You know, and then Mike says, oh, we're just, we're torn up. As if, like, that's, like, the The whole town's upset. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's okay to do this because we're upset. (laughs) No one stopped them from driving away, and instead... Doc yeah. Hayward is like, go find my go daughter. Go find my daughter when he finds out she's missing. Yeah. You're both trash. I know, Drive that car. I know the shitty quarterback was just surfing on the hood of that car, uh, tossing back an old German, but please, <laughs> please go find my daughter. Um, I guess I'm just too much of an old fuddy-duddy to go out and do that myself. Uh, I like Doc Hayward. Doc I Hayward do. is do. Uh, is a great is a great side character, I'd say. Yeah. Um, so... Donna's Donna's off to the roadhouse. Now Mike and Bobby are following them. We know that Norma and Ed are meeting up. Uh-huh, we get the uh-huh. sense covertly, for their covertly. yeah their special relationship, which will be expanded upon. Nadine's just playing with the drapes, <laughs> and Big Ed has, has had it. Um, and we get to see Julie Julie Cruz. Is that her name? Yeah, I yeah. So. Uh, crooning at the roadhouse. Not the not going to be the last time either. The roadhouse is one of those. It, it it doesn't come close to ranking in terms of like screen time or uh I feel like just like immediately coming to mind for me as a as a Twin Peaks location, but, but it it's is really important. Such a seminal location. Yeah, it's actually a lot of a lot of shit goes down here and actually the like the I'd I'd say one of the big moments of this episode in the in the second half of the pilot is the brawl uh, yeah. that takes place because Twin Peaks has bikers yeah, who has a biker gang. looking out for each other. Uh, you you get this great kind of like color to the town where it's just like, you know, Mike and Bobby walk in. Mm-hmm. They're known from the high school. There are other high schoolers there 
at the roadhouse, which is, yeah, no, like, this is, like, it gets back to the drunk driving thing. It's like, this town works in a particular way. Uh, And they start shit, and the bikers uh, push back hard. Yeah, and Big Ed gets caught in the middle of it. Yeah, Big Ed, I think he gets laid out, right? Yeah, he does, pretty early. Uh, Poor Ed. uh, Going back to the color in the town... There is none. <laughs> there's basically. there's not really. We have Josie. Uh-huh. Um, there's a female doctor who mm-hmm. looks like she's a woman of color. Mm-hmm. And uh, I really didn't see anyone else. Yep. I was looking in the pilot and I didn't see anyone else. Yeah. And I mean, this is this is a this is a strange thing and it will it will come up. Well, this itself is not a strange thing. It's not a shock to see TV, especially in the 90s. Even TV is out there and progressive as this was not having great representation but they mm-hmm. what's what's weird about it is they have a kind of mind to it like Josie is a character who's here for a reason right and also I mean at some point someone had to choose to cast that woman as the doctor um and and didn't say you know there wasn't a, the casting wasn't we want a white man to be the doctor in this town and so forth yeah but, but i mean it's also a cheap form of like background representation exactly this town is a very white town all of like all of our main characters but one uh, if i'm not mistaken are white well yeah. uh if hawk we count is, hawk is as a main hawk character is, yeah. not a side character yeah. yeah um i think he has one or two lines in this episode yeah he does appear when they're interrogating bobby in the library yeah. um but this is this is a very white town. Now I can tell you, having been to North Bend and seeing some of the local residents, I mean, it's always a shitty argument to make. That's how it really is. But North Bend is not. It's not near. It's not near enough to metropolitan to Seattle to to be different. There's a lot of people who just have big houses out there now, uh, who like to you know go out on the river and fish. Um, but yeah. If if this is this is not like a it is not a progressive show in that respect I'd say that's the that would be yeah. my my conclusion on it yeah it is like an unfortunate reflection of the reality of the Pacific Northwest but that doesn't mean that the show should have limited yeah. itself it's, to it it doesn't function as an excuse when that's when you bring up the fact that it's not a not a show with great representation you don't just just get to lean back on that's what the town's like like that's always a a lame excuse i feel totally and i wonder if it'll be different in the revival you might see i don't know yeah i mean i don't know what what they would do at that point because the cast that they would be bringing back would be all white but they have they have said and this isn't a spoiler for people who are new to the show or who don't really want spoilers about the revival, but it's not just going to be the old characters, you know, back again. Um, There will be new people who, uh, you know, hopefully we will develop some investment for in terms of their plot lines and how they relate to the old story and Mm -hmm. how their stories play out, you know, and interpersonal dramas for them. I think if anything... You know, when I first heard that news, when I first heard the show was going to be coming back, I was like Mm -hmm. stoked, but I was immediately worried because it was coupled with the news of like, you know, we don't know how many of the original cast are returning. We don't know uh, exactly, you know, how we don't know how this whole thing is going to shake out and where it's going to start from. And Mm -hmm. we're going to have these new characters put in. But having just watched the pilot again, I'm like, you know, if if David's there and the other people are there and they've got the same sensibility about them, they'll be able to introduce some people and keep you engaged. So Mm -hmm. totally. Yeah. And I think as long as we keep David there, as long as we keep David there permanently this time. Yeah, for real. Um, 
But yeah, that is definitely something I'd like to see more uh, more of in the revival. Uh, step away from the white. Yeah. The blinding whiteness. The blinding whiteness of Twin Peaks, Washington. Um, so I think we're being pretty thorough in covering things. Donna escapes the bar brawl to uh-huh. go rendezvous with mm-hmm. James because uh-huh. they got some shit to talk about yeah. and James is being looked for, uh, though they don't know who they're looking for yet exactly, but uh-huh. uh, they think Donna will lead them to the person who last saw Laura. Right. Uh, so Harry and Dale on their on their cool stakeout. I believe uh, Dale says, like, you're going to owe me a donut or something to Harry hand, as they peel hand out. me a donut hand me a donut hand yeah. me a donut <laughs> okay uh, this is not the last of donuts in that episode um, they peel out they get quickly shaken and we get like you said the James Donna connection here yeah when they link up very emotional and then oh we're kissing yeah. oh should we be kissing and there's like a couple beats they do reveal, like, a lot of important information about Laura. They basically give us most of the important background about Laura. Yeah. You know, otherwise we would know, oh, she, like, volunteered and, like, was a perfect person. Well, yeah, from the interrogation and from Dale's inspection of the uh, the diary that they find, uh, also a great move just busting open that diary. One yeah. of those other moments that paints Dale as, as functioning in his own particular way. Yeah. Um, uh, that he is very certain that, uh, and this is so of the times too, uh, that she has gotten in with cocaine somehow. And yeah. then the well, don't they test? There's something that tests positive for cocaine in the diary. Uh, it, it, he just holds up the little baggie, oh. and says there's white residue, and he's like, I am certain that this will test positive for co- for cocaine. Yeah. Also, Laura's got ten thousand dollars in a safety deposit box, a along with an issue of, of money. Flesh world. Flesh world. Flesh world, which is still. Uh, I, I I wonder about that choice of for the magazine name, but Ronette's in it, so yeah. there is now we know that Laura has some connection to the seedy underbelly that is that is present in Twin Peaks. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, they're doing a very interesting commentary with the the Ronette Laura um, juxtaposition there, and kind of the degree of care that's like bestowed upon each of them by the town going by, you know. They're basically their social status and standing yeah. in this town of 5,000 people. Ronette's dad works at the sawmill, which uh, Ben Horn's whole thing is he's going to try and buy it out. So it seems like it'd be, you know, it's maybe not doing so great that that isn't, uh, isn't not a possibility. And then, um, you know, Laura's dad, Leland, is the lawyer and he's in with Ben Horn. So they're, they're coming from yeah. two different sides of the town, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think they talk about that later, the, like, unlikely companionship between Laura and Ronette. Yeah. Um, one other, uh, I just looked at my notes and I remembered I wanted to mention the, the line from Laura's diary, asparagus for dinner, I hate asparagus, does that mean I'll never grow up? Like, I, it's, it's a simple line and I get what it's trying to do, but it always strikes me, uh, whenever I watch the pilot, um, just like, I feel like that line really captures, um, Laura being on the cusp of adulthood despite, you know, the contents of her storage locker. Yeah. Now we, we blew, and I apologize for this. We blew right past something that is definitely not, uh, what most would consider an adult move, which is how Audrey completely blows up the Norwegian deal. Yeah, she does. Um, Yeah. That is the, like, like I said earlier, breakout character right there. 
not even like really like a moment of consideration like her moment of consideration am i gonna go mess this up for my dad is her also messing up the concierge's desk yeah yeah. and then immediately just walking in all the heads turn it's got one of the like goofier music hits that comes comes back up a little bit later uh time and again and just completely ruins the ghostwood deal uh and this is this is going to be a part of norwegians are leaving the norwegians (laughs) are leaving leaving. yeah (laughs) great great moment and ben's ben's trying to get that land ben's trying to get this deal through you can be sure that this isn't going to be the end of it Mm -hmm. um but again within the course of this day we get enough action and development to get a sense of you know both uh Ben's place in this whole like shady business dealing and also Audrey's like defiance against it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or at least like rebelling against her dad. Yeah. And she has like a pretty strong sense of agency, which I would say is like pretty unique for like the town as a whole and like, um, like the landscape of female characters in the town. Yeah. Audrey's great. So getting back to we're in the woods, it's night, James and Donna, discover their feelings for each other i guess and james has uh well they found they found the crime scene yeah and we get more andy crying and that's where we find yeah, wait andy saying um tell sheriff truman i didn't cry to lucy on the phone always gets me. yeah oh andy and lucy so sweet um but yeah crime scene oh my god uh yeah, and lock it yeah or not lock it but rather Half heart, half heart pendant, pendant. Um, on the dirt, and the note that says "fire walk with me." Yes, very, very important to later, later things. You may have heard that there's a movie by that title. <laughs> uh, maybe you've heard about it. Um, James has that other half, and they gotta do something about it. They choose to bury it and in peel like out. a pretty shallow hole pretty shallow hole they mostly just like cover it with leaves it seems and then like. put a put a rock on it yeah um as though they might need to get back there sometime so that's that's what happens late at night in the woods they get pulled over by the sheriff now this might be kind of spoilers territory i guess mm-hmm. but it's not super spoilery they pull over uh Donna and James and Harry knows like realizes it's James Uh and his tone of voice you know it strikes me as being more than just stern sheriff yeah um we know that Big Ed you know from the earlier examples is has this relationship to James Uh um but I think you see hints of what we're gonna find out Harry and James's connection is Mm -hmm. uh which will be expand, uh, expanded upon later on. But it's it's one of those moments, when I go watch the pilot now, I wouldn't pick up on this as a first-time viewer. Mm-hmm. But now when I watch that, that moment seems a little bit more loaded because it's not just like, I recognize the boy now. Right. Um, these, these two guys have some history and everybody's learning things about each other yeah. uh, via Laura that they didn't know or maybe didn't even want to know mm-hmm. uh, necessarily. Uh, and Dale is actually going to be our conduit for learning about some of these kind of things as he gets folded yeah. into different groups yeah, yeah, yeah. and introduced to different people. Yeah. Um, and that's an interesting way to have things play out. Yeah. Well, Dale is yeah. so alien to us, yet he is also kind of the audience's 
yeah. um, way a, into some of the deeper things of the city. Yeah, in the I town. mean, it's a it's a pretty popular plot device. You introduce someone new to the situation, and that becomes the audience's vantage point. But it's also interesting because Dale ends up being kind of the driving force behind so much. Yeah, and um, he's and he. I just he can't be our vantage point to say I identify strongly yeah. with Dale Cooper says a lot about a person <laughs> in some ways where it's just like you want to be Dale but actually like you're actually um like a Mike or a Bobby or a Shelly or Sheriff Truman. Sheriff Truman I'm probably an Andy um, yeah you probably are an Andy <laughs> <laughs> wait have you been on that um tv trope page that's like characters sorted by myers-briggs types no i hate i i uh, i swipe left on myers-briggs i'll leave it at that <laughs> um well i just want to point out that audrey cooper dale or no audrey horn the future mrs audrey cooper <laughs> dale cooper and fox Mulder and i are all the same oh my god <laughs> brag brag okay so yeah, we're, we're getting close to the end of the episode here, and we have more things to discuss. Mm -hmm. This is going a little long, but then again, the pilot is longer than most episodes. So, yeah. Um, the last moments. Spooky. Yeah. Oh, my God. Well, um, Grace, what's her name? Grace Zabriskie. Grace Zabriskie does another just, like, great, terrifying performance. Blood-curdling oh scream. Oh, my God. Um... And we see this gloved hand digging in that, again, very shallow, not great hole right underneath the rock and pulling out the pendant. Mm -hmm. um, there is There are strange things afoot in this town, uh, and this steals it. But also, you know, if you're an attentive viewer, which maybe if you had an internet connection or at the very least were talking around the water cooler at this time, uh, how does she know? How does she get this this sense of this hand reaching into the dirt and then she screams? Yeah. Um, it remains to be seen. That it does. Um, is there anything else we just didn't hit on? I talked about the goofy dancing man. That was really my that most important. That was your, <laughs> your That was really my most important contribution yeah. to the episode. Well, um, I was thinking maybe we could touch on like violence against women as like a plot device. Yeah, Leo is very threatening in his first on-screen yeah. appearance. Yeah, well, I mean, most of the women in Twin Peaks are like under the threat of violence. You know, we have Shelley. Um, I mean, I think Bobby and Mike behave in very like violent ways towards Donna. Yeah, um, grabbing Donna in the roadhouse very yeah. forcefully. Um, and I mean, you know, what happens to Laura? What happens to Ronette? Um, I mean, the whole series is predicated on an act of violence towards a woman. Um, and that's something that I don't always or usually even enjoy. Um, and I, to a certain extent, question whether I excuse it because I enjoy, like, the Lynchian stylization. But I do genuinely feel, I think, that the women in the series are treated um, such that, like, they are more than just, like, plot device victims. Yeah. They're, like, characters with, like, a good degree of agency and, like, character development. Yeah, and some of these, some of these, uh, characters will kind of get one over on their abusers in some ways. Most of them um, do at some point. And... And already, actually, I mean, this is some this is some stuff that is yet to be uncovered, but there are 
there are struggles afoot that uh, inroads are already being made on or, or shortly about to have progress made on in terms of, uh, without giving too much away, just the, the power dynamics, big and small, at play in Twin yeah. Peaks. Um, and yeah, Laura is definitely the highlight example of someone who's kind of caught in the middle of all this mm-hmm. and i mean i think it would i think i think part of it is that you don't want to you don't as as much as we will and already have we don't want to put david lynch on a pedestal and be like oh he can do no wrong yeah um but at the same time i think these are these are themes that are apparent to him and uh-huh. that he is consciously dealing with in ways that i think you can find evidence for in the show Mm -hmm. um even in the the log lady introduction Uh you read um david has a sense of what the what he's doing with the plotting and what these actions represent yeah um and the the terrible thing done to laura it it is the the start of the show, but I think a, a a cheaper show would have simultaneously sort of blown that out in uh-huh. terms of the drama, yeah, and done a worse job of dealing with it, both in terms yeah. of prese- you know, both in terms of presentation, in terms of plot wise, moving past it, any uh-huh. kind of healing for any of the characters or any of the the. Any 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 way to move yeah. forward that's not just cheaping cheapening it and using it as a plot point, I guess. Yeah, yeah, I totally feel that. Um, it's we we're planning on at a later date talking about you know shows that are influenced by Twin Peaks, mm-hmm. um, but just thinking about the way that the show presents violence against women, I think that like two interesting poles to kind of like juxtapose Twin Peaks with would be um, the first season of True Detective and Top of the Lake because hmm. both. Um, you know, the premise is really predicated on violence against women in both of those shows. And then both of those shows also follow one to two people who are, like, investigating that mystery and who become invested in that mystery. Um, and I think that, like, um, what True Detective does that I don't particularly like is it becomes about how men feel about how they treat women, not how women feel about the way that they're treated. Yeah. Um, and I, and what Top of the Lake does that I really like is, um, it has a woman investigating the crime and, um, that I think really allows for a lot more, um, like clear commentary on, um, misogyny and violence against women. Um, and while I don't think that, um, Twin Peaks is like True Detective in that way, I also don't think it quite reaches um kind of the the top of the like end of that spectrum yeah which is i think like most of what you can expect from a show that was made in the early 90s yeah um so you dug up some notes from the internet i did early reactions to twin peaks i did we're not even talking I don't think you were even talking dial-up. This is pre-AOL. This is Usenet. 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 Uh, So you know you're talking real mega-dork internet here. Yeah, oh my god. To put it it lightly, I don't want to poke fun, but 
it's, it's Usenet. Come on. Yeah. Um, full disclaimer, uh, Kumail Nanjiani does this on the X-Files files. Shout out. Shout out to Kumail, who has definitely perfected the uh, TV podcast format. Yeah. Um, but I thought it would be interesting to see if Usenet even went as far back as, uh, you know, April 1990. And as it turns out, it does. Um, the first post on the archived alt.tv slash Twin Peaks uh, groups, which are archived on Google Groups, um, is on the 16th of April, so it's a full eight days after the airing of the pilot, and about four days after the airing of the second episode. Um, so there are just a couple. Um, the first post is this dude looking for a tape of the pilot. <laughs> he literally says, like, oh, I caught the show, like, the other night, but, you know, I didn't catch the pilot. Does someone have a tape? Yeah. This is the kind of technology we were dealing with back then. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say, like, we we lived in that time. We know that time. I remember taping shows. Oh, I remember yeah. setting, uh, you know, when we would go out of town for a week, setting the VCR to record shows that we wanted waiting for us when we got back. Yeah. Um, but I do have to be honest. I do have to be, like... I don't know, post-millennial about it. It seems so alien to me to be like, I yeah. can't go watch this easily. To be like, like, we're never, like, I may never see this again, yeah. basically. And to just be like, I have to cobble this up from, like, mm-hmm. what I can find on the internet. I actually remember doing that. I was, like, around 11 years old, doing that with Degrassi. <laughs> <laughs> when I would miss an episode of Degrassi. <laughs> oh, boy. But Drake era Degrassi. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Aubrey Graham era Degrassi. All right. Classic Degrassi. Um, and then there are a couple of other um interesting posts. It doesn't pick up uh quite a bit at this time, but um another post, and I think this was very tongue in cheek, but it was very extensive um just in terms of like the the number of words used. Um, the, the subject line said breakthrough for Norwegian. breakthrough for norwegian as the lingua franca of real estate huh and then um and i think it's tongue-in-cheek because it like lists all of these like um like artifacts of norwegian culture like trolls and like norse mythology and stuff that like we can expect to see in in the rest of the show right yeah (laughs) twin Um, peaks that show with the trolls right (laughs) or kyle mclaughlin hunt troll hunts trolls yeah. <laughs> no, that's different. different and they one. worship Odin. Um, oh, boy. And then... Internet uh, jokesters of 1990. Oh, yeah. Um, and then uh, what was really interesting is there were a couple of people who had a similar theory about who killed Laura Palmer. Hmm. Can you guess who the suspect was? No. I want you to tell me who the suspect was. Sheriff Truman. Huh. Hmm. Yeah. I wouldn't if I had guessed I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah. What's their reasoning? Um apparently the idea being that it's a perfect crime because the sheriff would be investigating his own crime uh-huh. and also the fact that the and they literally cited the person who made this post literally cited this. The mayor is so old <laughs> will be out of office soon and then the sheriff will run for mayor on the platform that he's like solved this crime or whatever that he Small committed. Small town politics. 
Yeah, I think they called him sociopathic at one point. Hmm. One thing we didn't touch on is that we do, at the end there, uh, find out that Josie and Harry have a thing. That but, was probably one of the more surprising things for me when I first watched the pilot. Yeah, it it kind of comes out of nowhere. Um, but again, that's just the efficiency. The, the ruthless efficiency of this pilot is to get most everything out there in terms of yeah it plot really threads. does lay down like almost every major plot line at least for the rest of season one and like probably the first half of season two as well yeah um another theory related to the sheriff truman theory um the sheriff starts a cult that includes um a barking ritual that bobby and mike enact in the prison oh, when they're barking the, at the james barking scene so I like to think about that show sometimes. <laughs> the show where Sheriff Truman starts a cult where people bark like dogs and then he kills Laura Palmer. I mean, I guess nothing about that doesn't sound Lynchian to me. Anyway, no, um, silly, silly theories from the internet. I'm looking forward to more of those. That's yeah. great. Uh, so that's almost the show right i mean this has been a long episode it was a long pilot uh we've actually gone longer yeah. than the pilot yeah um oh happily that's yes wow um i was just gonna say that the week that the pilot debuted it was the seventh most watched show of the week it had 29 percent of viewers okay um and it received positive critical reviews uh from publications like the new york times but pretty much every review said this is not going to gain any popularity this is not going to be widely watched this is not for tv huh basically well and this is like you know 25 years later and people of- are pretty excited that it's coming back so <laughs> <laughs> show you new york times <laughs> new york times 1990 um well then let's keep this little extra bit we've saved for the end rather brief and okay. then we'll do our sign-offs okay but i had this idea today uh there is a great scene in the police station where uh lucy has laid out a uh very very attractive looking um display of donuts uh for the officers so you're gonna hear some some box opening and some paper crinkling uh Food is a recurring uh, topic of discussion, theme in Twin Peaks. Um, So from time to time, we're going to sample some some appropriate food. Uh, There was mention of uh, cherry pie in this episode and so forth. But uh, today, because we see donuts on screen, we uh, got some donuts from a town or a shop here in town, rather, uh, called Blue Star uh shout out to blue star shout out to blue star that's what we're sampling today some blue star donuts i have in my hand i believe a old-fashioned buttermilk donut and you have i have a vegan matcha cake donut vegan matcha cake donut i'm probably gonna cut out the sounds of us uh chewing but we're both gonna take a bite and then tell you what we think uh we're gonna tell you whether or not these rate as uh in this case damn fine donuts so let's take a little taste test what did you think uh well buttermilk old-fashioned donut pretty tasty um is it damn fine is it damn fine i don't know it is it is a damn hot day so maybe not the perfect day to be sampling donuts on but i'm gonna say i'm 
now, and, and hopefully we'll get to this uh, later on with this food segment. It's an excuse to eat food I like, in a way. Um, Blue Star's not my favorite shop in town, but that was a damn fine donut. Yeah, yeah. Same for your matcha green tea donut? Yeah, as someone who likes the taste of matcha, damn fine matcha donut. All right, so from Twin Peaks Peaks, the new podcast, Blue Star Donuts in Portland, Oregon, you have our damn fine endorsement. Um... Uh, we can be found on the internet, Ashley and I, uh, yeah. like most people these days, it's pretty easy to dig up information about us on the internet, but we are going to provide you some of that. Um, so my Twitter account is at Ashley Brandt, A-S-H-L-E-Y-B-R-A-N-D-T. My Tumblr is also my name. Um, I also have Instagram, but I use it to like Kardashian pictures and not much else. So if you want to like some kardashian photos you may dig through your likes yeah yeah well people can do that on their own time i can be found on twitter and that's all i'll give out today i'm you know i'm working on my personal brand but uh i can be found on twitter it's at matthew olson uh that's matthew with one t and then o-l-s-o-n and that'll do it for this first episode right we're probably missing something huge but i don't know we used some royalty free music for the intro and outro music so yeah. we don't have to thank anybody out other than on the website um i don't know i think all the housekeeping stuff is done people who are listening should you know maybe tune in next week if you liked it but first tune into episode two and watch that rate us on itunes yeah oh yes please oh that's the important thing that we're missing uh share this if you liked it with your friends leave a review on itunes subscribe all that junk um send us questions send us stuff that you want us to cover send us um if you want to be on the show when you live <laughs> in portland oregon and you want to come to matt's uh or you can Skype in. Bedroom studio. It's not always sweltering. I blame the city for that. And uh, if you were in any way involved with the creation of Twin Peaks, yo, hit us up. Um, but I think that'll do it for the show. I did the lead-in, so I'm oh, going to let okay. you say the uh, sign-off line that will maybe be the signature sign-off. I don't know. We'll see. Don't forget to brush your teeth, Harriet. Harriet.